up and get ahead with WKGN. One, three, four, oh. Live from the White Claw Hard Seltzer Studios in Knoxville, it's the morning show on Fan Run Radio. Here are your hosts, John Reed and Bob Baskerville. Back in the booth, back on the airwaves, coming at you live from the White Claw Hard Seltzer Studios. John Reed, Bob Baskerville, Bob Baskerville, a great start to the week. Sam Beard, I was trying to combine Baskerville with Sam Beard, and he got Baskerville. Thought you might have been thinking yeah. Tara Vanderveer. No, no, I was trying to get to Sam Beard. I was thinking, huh, we haven't had to do this in a week because yeah. of the snow. But here we are on a Monday, January 22nd. It does feel good to be back in the studio. It does feel good to be back in the booth and back on the airwaves. Happy Monday morning to you, wherever you may be, or Monday afternoon, depending if you're listening to the podcast. Bob, how are you, my friend? I'm good. I'm really happy (laughs) to be here. Uh, I picked up Sam as we were driving in. I was like, you know, uh, I love my my daughter, but she's got to get back to school and... uh, Little, little too much closeness here this last week or so. <laughs> it was kind of precious for a few days. You know, you're out in the snow and hanging and doing stuff, and then by now it's like, hey man, let's just get back to normal already. I can't take it anymore. So I'm very happy to be here. Yeah, hopefully today the sun comes out and officially puts an end to all of this with the the, the roads and just the cold. And my dog's over it. I'm over it. I'm tired of wearing these damn boots. Sam, good morning to you. How are you? Good morning. Uh, I'm doing well. Yeah, I'm happy to be back here. Um, long week inside. I'm, I'm excited to get out. Uh, was doing anything I could to get out of the house. Voluntarily shoveled my driveway at some point over the weekend just to get a little physical activity. Didn't get to the game. Wish I got to the game, but watch the game, obviously. Um, but we'll start getting to the games once this snow once the snow melts off, but yeah, I mean, uh, excited to get back into the into the studio and kind of get my routine going again. Yeah, we were very close to timing it up perfectly because for some reason I haven't seen explained. We don't have a midweek basketball game this week. Would have been nice if it was whenever the snow was on the ground and you kind of just gotten a chance to take an excuse to stay home versus trying to get people over there with the uh, the weather the way it was, but. Glad you have made it. Shout out to Bob for going to pick you up because yes. you, you shoveled your driveway, but it still didn't help you out this morning. Yeah, the, the the slope just, I think all of that melting ice just ran down on one side, and I, I attempted it twice this morning, and then I just went sliding down both times. I was like, hey, can I get a ride? <laughs> oh, I didn't even know you tried it, so I, I didn't yeah. know you tried to get I, the... I, I slid down twice. Uh, I attempted. At least you didn't bump into anybody. I had plenty of friends sending pictures of, of people sliding down in front of their house into other trucks. He said yesterday there's one that... One try, one car tried to go up, gave up, got to the bottom. Truck saw it and was like, "I'm gonna try it." He went up and slid down into the other car. So then they're sitting out there yelling at each other, "Like you saw me, didn't make it? Why are you trying it?" And truck I, thought he was built different, and it wasn't. And then the next thing you know, they just uh, had 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 to get out and exchange information. I have uh, a friend of ours who lives just a couple blocks from where we live, and they're in a really hilly neighborhood. And they said they saw a car come you know like so imagine the letter u so you go you start at the left you go down and you go up they went down went up got towards the top 
couldn't make it and they were sliding down backwards, which is like my worst freaking nightmare. You know, you want to talk about a stress ball, um, just sliding downhill backwards. No way you're going to control that. You're just going to, you know, maybe hit something or maybe not. It's, uh, I'm over it, man. Um, fortunately, we didn't have any of that happen to us, but uh, Jesus. Yeah, running on a little bit of fumes. It was tough to get readjusted to the sleep schedule. Also, just, I don't know if I, my mind was all over the place last night. So, i working on about two hours total of sleep. So, when I got up, was getting my stuff ready and trying to get my dog outside. When I got to our big icy hill here, I said, I don't care. I'm going down. I'm going down. Why not make this morning worse? I'm either going to salvage it because I'm not getting out and walking at 6.30 a.m. I was like, I don't feel like doing that. And I really don't feel like walking back up the hill. I said, I'm going for it. If I die, I die. And I, and I made it down. So we'll see if we make it back up after the show. But So uh, it was a nice little pick-me-up as I came into the studio. We appreciate you being the pioneer and uh, <laughs> leading the way for us because then we were like, hey, man, I've got a four-wheel drive. I should be fine then. Um, so that was good. Yeah. Um, Christopher Columbus over here. Yeah, there you go. Hey, back to one quick thing while I'm thinking about it, because you were saying we were talking about this, about why is there no Tennessee basketball game this week. It's because, I've learned, everybody, all the teams get some level of a buy because of the removal of the SEC Big 12 Challenge. Oh, okay, so the SEC Big 12 Challenge is gone this year. Yes, yeah, they're starting with, you know, this year Tennessee played Carolina, and they, I guess now it's going to be a kind of an SEC-ACC challenge moving That's forward. Right. So, so they yeah. move that up in year and not, instead of in conf- the middle of conference play. Correct. Typically that would be this upcoming weekend would usually be our SEC Big 12 right. challenge. So that's gone. So they, okay. Yeah. So Fair that's, enough. That's the deal. Nothing like celebrating a big win by, by getting to sit for a week and get cold. So the way they played on Saturday, I would have liked to have seen them keep rolling, but We'll get into Tennessee basketball here in a little bit. Hey, before, but no, 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 no. What you got to talk about uh, SmackDown? Oh, I got to tell you about my wrestling. Well, I was sitting up with, uh, well, you might not get the reference, but I was sitting with the ghost of Owen Hart up in the rafters. It very the worst seats I'd had in a while in, in terms of a sporting event, but those they were a hot ticket. And I was like, I'm not paying over $180 to go watch SmackDown. I'll sit in the nosebleeds. I'll deal with it, although I kind of regret it because when you said there, you couldn't hear them cutting promos, so I could barely hear what was going on in the show. But uh, it was a packed house in Atlanta. It was fun. I'm glad you reminded me because, yeah, I need to get – remind me, we have Ron Shumpert at 820. We have Josh Dobbs coming on at 9. I need to ask both of them on the way out who's going to win – who their pick is to win the Royal Rumble. So I'm glad you asked me that. So uh, Royal Rumble this weekend, Bob, big deal. need to uh, make sure I, I get everyone's predictions this week on who they got uh, to win. But I had fun. Uh, I threw my ones up. I acknowledged my tribal chief in person, Bob, and uh, it was a good. It was a good time. Okay. Okay. So the well, night Waffle House afterwards. So it's a it's a great night in Atlanta. So while we're on subjects of things that I don't care much about, that um, there, there's one that I I I'm I'm going to reach out to you guys and to the listeners because I learned this about myself in this past week. So my wife and I we were watching. Uh, second time around for me, but my, my wife had never seen Ted Lasso, so we were watching the first season of that. Kind of getting into the soccer stuff, talking to a buddy of mine who went to the game with me on Saturday whose daughter plays soccer, and they are way into the soccer stuff. And it kind of hit me that 
you know, I there's there's a lot I don't know. And yesterday I was doing the I still do the Sunday show Neutral Zone with Clone uh, for the time being, and um, we did it on Spaces and. Um, uh, somebody called in or whatever you would call it, entered the room and they started asking me and clone who we liked against, uh, Liverpool and Burnmouth. And I was just like, man, I can't tell you. I, and I'm not going to be that guy that's going to BS you and tell you that I know. So mine, I've created a new year's resolution now, even though we're almost through January is I'm going to be dedicated to learning more about premier league soccer I know a little bit about it. I certainly know the rules of like relegation and all of those things, but um, and I don't know how much you guys know. But I mean, uh, when you ask me, Liverpool and Bournemouth, I mean, surely my 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 Reds they haven't fallen that far down where they're not going to beat that team. Well, there you go. Liverpool had been uh, I thought playing better this season so far, so I mean. Uh, I think that's a slam dunk. I see that they won four to four to nil. So see, there you as go. They call it. You guys are going to help help me through this over time. So uh, just. That was another discovery for me during uh, Snowmageddon. I did not expect to start the show off with Bob and soccer, but okay, there we go. <laughs> Liverpool, 4-0 over Burnmouth, so there we go. We'll get to Tennessee basketball later in the hour. Big Tennessee football roster news. We'll get to that in hour two. Josh Dobbs in hour three. But my favorite weekend of sports is in the books. Divisional round in the NFL. It delivered. The wild card round stunk. The super wild card round was not very good, but the divisional round gave you 3.5 pretty good games. The Ravens ran away from the Texans in the second half, but it was close at halftime. It was close in the first half. The final four is set. The Kansas City Chiefs, Patrick Mahomes, they do what they do, make their sixth straight conference championship. They break Buffalo's hearts. Both of those things are connected. They do what they do. Buffalo chokes. They do what they do. They'll take on Lamar Jackson and the Ravens as Baltimore is hosting their first conference championship, which is a crazy stat. Ever? I, I believe so, or at least uh, in a long time. The Baltimore Colts did it yeah. you know, many, yeah. many, many times ago. The Ravens apparently have never hosted a uh, conference championship, but, yeah, the Colts did it a long time ago. I saw Schefter tweeting that this weekend. I want to say like maybe like 82 or something like that, mm-hmm. if I remember the tweet correctly. That's the AFC matchup, Lamar versus Mahomes. In the NFC, the San Francisco 49ers survived, and they'll take on the Detroit Lions, America's team, after they uh, survive and, and hold off Baker Mayfield and the Bucks' comeback attempt. Final four is set. Great game last night to end the weekend. We'll dive into the NFL after the break. It is the morning show here on Fan Run Radio. Stick with us. I think the biggest story in sports is just the the Chiefs doing what they do. Six straight conference championships. Every year that Patrick Mahomes has been a starter, he has made the conference championship. They made history last night, becoming the first team in NFL history to win at least two playoff games for five straight seasons. That stat's ridiculous. Five years in a row. Not just make the second round. Because, you know, they usually have a first round bye. No, no, no. They, they have won two straight. They've, they've won two games, at least, at the playoffs, apparently. The last 15 AFC championships, Bob, there are three quarterbacks that, are, uh, that have been in every conference championship in the AFC for at least 15 years. Do you know who the three quarterbacks are? Ooh. 
A little quiz show to start the uh, to start the day. So in the last 15 years. Yep, last 15 AFC championships have featured three quarterbacks. God, that's a tough one. Obviously, well, obviously Mahomes. Mahomes. Um, that was an easy one. There, there, I, this, this is going to be one that you're going to sh- tell me, and I'm going to be like, "Yeah, oh, man, I had, you know, it's like right in front of me. I can't, I can't play some." Well, Tom Brady. Oh yeah, Tom Brady, Brady and Patrick Mahomes, and Mark Sanchez. Mark Mark Sanchez. As the Jets made those back-to-back AFC championships, so 15 straight AFC championship games. It's like the dragon meme. You get you got the two tough dragons and the goofy one. Mahomes, Brady, two goats, and then yeah, Mark Sanchez with his tongue out. You know what I loved? I saw somebody uh, post on X that there's this drew a little bit of an NBA corollary to him, where you know. Allen is uh, Patrick Ewing and Mahomes is Michael Jordan. Like, yeah, yeah. Just can't, you, just can't get past them. You could do a modern one too of like James Harden and Steph Curry because they could never yeah. get past. Uh, they could never get past the Warriors with the Rockets. Record when trailing by seven points or more in playoffs the last five seasons. The rest of the NFL, they did it sixty-four times. They won eleven games. That's good for seventeen percent. 11 and 53 if your name is not Patrick Mahomes when trailing by seven points or more in the playoffs. Patrick Mahomes, 8 and 1, 89% of the time. When he falls down by seven points or more in the playoffs, he's got you right where he wants you. And I know from firsthand experience of being in Arrowhead Stadium when the Titans went up 10 points in Kansas City and, and of course, lost that game going away. So all of these stats. There's another one. Andy Reid now 11 conference championships, second most in NFL history. By the way, he has now made more with the Chiefs than he did with the Eagles, which is kind of crazy to me. All these stats coming out of this game just kind of sums up the thought that Kansas City did what Kansas City does, and that's win playoff games. And on the other hand, you had the Bills, who are known for choking playoff games. So, of course, they choked a playoff game away. Wide right. Wide right. <laughs> what was that, Super Bowl 25, I believe, that they uh, yeah. they missed? Wide right. I believe it was from the same exact yards, too. 44 yards really? away, I believe, is what I saw. Yeah. that. Uh, I figured the way that game was playing out last night, I was like, you know, they're, they're, they're going to knock this in. They're going to go to overtime. It's just going to become even more of a classic. And uh, I'll, I'll be honest. The moment I saw them lining up, I was like, you know what? This is due for a Bills miss. Yeah. This is due for a Bills miss. After Josh Allen, like, you you can't miss two throws in the end zone like he did. Especially, like, whenever you you have Tony Romo. Ah, Jim! I don't know why he didn't take the underneath throw here and just keep moving the chains. Ah, Jim! I don't know why he's throwing in the end zone because there's still a minute 40 left. So, like, maybe you want to run more time off anyways because everyone knows if you score that much with that much time left, the Chiefs are going to score. Ah, Jim! He should have taken the check down. Patrick Mahomes against the Bills in the postseason. You know, if Bills Mafia is really about that life, if they're really a mafia, then they need to make Patrick Mahomes go sleep with the fishes because he's played them three times in the playoffs. He has nine touchdowns, no interceptions, 306 yards per game, and 126.6 passer rating, and a perfect 3-0 and record. They need to put a hit out on him if they're really a mafia. Somebody needs to take him out. Yeah, and Kelsey showed up. That's the first we've seen productivity from Travis Kelsey in about a month, at least. I mean, it was uh, he 
played a played a great game. It, it was Kansas City looked different to me than they had the again for the past month. They they you know part of it is we, Sam and I were talking about they're healthier than Buffalo too. I mean you know that 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 didn't hurt, but they just. They just looked like they'd been there before, man. They 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 kind of responded to every body blow and and just kept kept delivering it here at the end. Well, Mahomes, of course, is this generation's Brady. He has the most playoff wins by anybody under the age of thirty in NFL history. He's only twenty eight. But Travis Kelsey, you know, all of a sudden looked like Gronk, and like late career Gronk. Where you know, like, hey, we're going to kind of keep you in the garage, big fella. We're not going to get you out and on the road and get miles on you. Yes. But can you give us something in the playoffs? And Kelsey said, yep, that's fine. Five catches, 75 yards, two touchdowns, blowing kisses, throwing hearts up at Taylor Swift. The NFL is one game away from getting Taylor Swift shots at the Super Bowl. they got to be so excited. Kelsey riding off into the sunset with a 50-yard line proposal after the game. They're close. The script riders, they're, they're warming up. They are heating up. But, yeah, Travis Kelsey – made that Chiefs offense look better than it had all year. You said that's the best they looked in a month. Bob, I'd say that's the best they've looked since they beat the hell out of Chicago, like week three or four, whenever that was. They had been struggling. The offense couldn't move the ball. And then yesterday, they barely faced any third downs. The only time they were facing third downs is when they were kneeling the ball out, it seemed like. You know, they they just dominated that game. I think they only punted once, I think. Yeah, that, that, that seems like it would check out. And on the other hand, you had Buffalo. You you had Josh Allen, 39 attempts, 186 yards. Everything he was throwing was basically behind the line or was deep down the field and couldn't be caught. His receivers letting him down. Ironically enough, since we had talked about the Chiefs receivers being the losers, it was Buffalo receivers who couldn't do anything. Stephon Diggs does all that crying all throughout the regular season, wants to be thought of as an elite guy, comes out and goes three catches for 21 yards. Drops a big, long, t- uh, drops a big long uh, bomb down the field. I mean, if it's not Josh Allen running the ball last night, take that out of the equation, and this, this game wasn't wouldn't have been close, honestly. Yeah, Josh Allen was, I mean, was trying to do everything he could. Now, you know, Josh Allen, you know, you could talk about – Missing those throws, and I do think he, he made mistakes going for the home run ball. He didn't turn the ball over, though, and that's what you worry about with Josh Allen. He didn't turn the ball over, but he still couldn't, you know, maybe take what the defense gave him on those underneath throws coming out of the two-minute warning and say he's throwing balls in the end zone trying to be a hero. But he wasn't the problem. I mean, 270 yards, three touchdowns. But yet, Sam, when you come to it, you get to this stat here. Of all the stats I've given you, maybe this one, to me, is the most damning when I'm looking at Josh Allen in the playoffs, he beat a Phillip Rivers on his last ACL with that Colts team that really, quite frankly, the Colts should have won that game in Buffalo in 2020. He beat Phillip Rivers. Lamar Jackson got knocked out with a concussion in the third quarter. They they won that game with a pick six. He beat Mac Jones. He beat Skylar Thompson. He beat Mason Rudolph. So, like, on one hand, he, he does have five playoff wins. On the other hand, hasn't really beaten anybody. And every time he goes up against the Chiefs and Patrick Mahomes, he finds a way to come up short. The gods were trying to help the Bills last night, it seems like. The Chiefs miss an open fumble. You know, I believe it was Allen that put the ball on the floor. Maybe it was somebody different, but I thought it was Allen. And the Chiefs almost have a scoop scoop and score. Instead, it bounces around. Yeah. The Bills fall on it. They go for a fourth down. They get it. 
Sean McDermott with one of the worst fake punt calls, trying to give DeMar Hamlin his moments. Oh, boy, I felt bad for DeMar Hamlin whenever he got stopped on that fourth down fake punt. But the defense holds, and Miko Hardman fumbles, and it goes out of the end zone, and the Bills survived. You're like, okay, maybe this is just set up for them to have a finally break through. The, the football gods are trying to help. Then the gods of win. <laughs> Wide right. And then Pacheco runs the ball down their throat and ends the game. How good's Pacheco, by the way? He runs a very funny way. He, he runs like a bad kid. He runs like someone said like a big dog is chasing him. Yeah. He, he's got a weird running style. I don't know which one's the best descriptor, but he runs hard. And, yeah, you know, Andy Reid would have maybe gotten a lot of criticism had they lost that game because you had Pacheco running six yards a carry, seven yards a carry. And on the goal line, it's like, hey, let's give the ball to Mecole Hardman. Bad ideas. He fumbled. How do you guys feel about the touchback rule? Fumble out of bounds, touchback. A lot of people always talk about it's the worst rule in sports. Uh, I saw an NFL writer saying that he believes it gets changed this weekend because there's enough support to change it. I love the rule. It sucks when it goes against you. But, like, you know, the way that Miko Hartman put the ball on the floor, on the ground, a yard away from the end zone, he deserved to lose the ball. They deserved to have it go back to the 20 and beat Buffalo's ball. Take care of the ball. Next to the goal line. That's my favorite rule in football, honestly. Okay. I love it. I yeah. love it. I love when it happens. I think it's just like a strange little wrinkle to the game that kind of screws everything up and like screws the flow up of the game. And I think it's like a positive thing, honestly. Like I think if you're that close to the end zone, yeah. I mean, if you're fumbling it out of the back of the end zone, I think you gotta be punished for something. You can't just get it back on the one yard line. It's the ultimate reverse reverse draw four in Uno. Yeah, like, you, yeah. you think you got it, you think you got it, boom. Oh no, I'm drawing four. Yep. You want to get rid of the draw four, Bob? I don't like it. I, I do want to get rid of it. I uh, believe in a, in a league that rewards so much for offense. Um, it's just such a – and maybe that's why people like it, obviously. It's such an about face from all of that. Um, because, again, if Hardman fumbles that ball out of bounds at the one, they'd maintain possession. So, you know, it's just I, – I, I just – I don't understand the purpose of it other than, you know, what, you know, the obvious, you know, defense benefits from it. I just think it, the way the league's structured, I, I've never understood why that, that rule existed. I'm, I'm not a fan of it. I think we would all hate it way more if we had guys just recklessly diving, trying to throw the ball across the end zone, trying to get it to the pylon, trying to get it. The, the fact that, like, you can just poke the ball to the tip of the end zone, barely touch the line, and it's a touchdown – or if you know you try to jump over the pile like Drew Brees used to do, and the ball gets smacked out of your hands, the fact that that's not a fumble, I do think you have to have some type of of real punishment for guys not taking care of the ball. I'll do you one better. I think every fumble out of bounds. If we're going to start changing rules, every fumble out of bounds should be a defensive touchback. Take care of the football. If we're going to start changing rules, hold on to the ball. Because I mean, if you're going to say it doesn't make sense, okay, I'll go the other way then. Every fumble out of bounds that the defense doesn't have a chance to recover. You lose the ball. That's what happens in basketball. You drop a ball out of bounds, you lose the ball. It's an interesting thought. You get a ball out of bounds in volleyball or in tennis, you're out of bounds. And NFL's just like, ah, redo. It's all right. I would go the other way. Yeah, just uh, let's get rid of all fumbling out of bounds. Take care of the football. But every, like, you know, the Bills had some things go their way, and they still couldn't cash in. They still couldn't do it. They couldn't beat their boogeyman. And he got it at home. 
And you got it at home. Yeah. And, and, you know? <laughs> and, and in your mind, you're like, hey, we can't beat them in Kansas City, but just give us a chance in Buffalo. Bill's Mafia. We'll jump through tables that are on fire. We're so tough. They they even recruited Kelsey's brother to be part of Bill's Mafia, yeah. right? I mean. I, I got to say, it took one game for me to be sick of Jason Kelsey. Really? Yeah, it took one game. I mean, like, being shirtless in the press box. Or in the luxury suite. Like, the heat's on, bro. Like, who are you trying to improve? Like, you're in there in a, a, a nice, crispy, 70-degree box. Like, being shirtless isn't cool. Like, you're not being tough. You're not on the elements. I'd rather watch Jason Kelsey sling beers shirtless than have to watch a, J- a Taylor Swift cut back every time. Can you time. get out of the way? Taylor, Taylor's <laughs> in front of you. I wonder if Taylor looked at that and said, ah, I don't know if I want to join this family. This, guy's was, a little, this guy might be a little problematic down the road. Who post-game, knows? he was, like, holding little girls up in yeah. the stands and, no, like, he's a bringing their... Bringing their poster up and being like, Taylor, look at this poster we, that yeah, this girl did. Another bit of TV yeah. watching. We watched, uh, have you seen the, the Kelsey documentary about I have No, I haven't watched it. Um, I, don't, I don't have Kelsey fever like everyone else. I'm sorry, Jason. He does seem like a good guy. He's not a problem. It makes you feel good about Ta- Kelsey. Taylor's probably like, this would be a great brother-in-law, great uncle. You know, if she starts taking kids down the line, who yeah, knows? Yeah, the takeaway I had in that was that he really, the, because the whole concept is about from last season, should he retire or not? He should have retired because the way he went out, you know, you can't predict the future, obviously, but, you know, Eagles just absolutely, you know, fell apart the last six weeks of the season and get blown out in the playoffs, and that's the way he's going to end it. And it's like, it was kind of, that made me kind of sad, actually, because, you know, he was so integral to that team. He should have left after the Super Bowl loss. Yeah, one of the last moments uh, you'll think about Jason Kelsey's playing career is when his brother was trolling him on their podcast about how yeah. the excuse train was rolling, and Jason Kelsey's like on the verge of tears and has to like stop it. It's like, we'll come back the next day. Because, I mean, that team did fall apart. And, you know, I don't know if it was a lack of leadership. I don't know what the excuse was or what the reasons were. But, yeah, they, that was a a bad ending. But at the same, at the same time, no one's going to think of a great – Having that be their last moment, like no, no one's gonna remember that that Tom Brady got his ass kicked by the Cowboys, you know, right. in their last game. Now, obviously, Tom Brady on a different level than Jason Kelsey, but you also think of that Super Bowl of the year before. You also think of that Buffalo, though, now finds themselves in a weird, weird position. They they are now forty three million dollars over the cap. They have already been kind of kicking the can down the road with paying players and pushing it back. Now that bill is about to come due. No pun intended. You might have seen the last of that core of that team. Like, you know, if I was betting right now, I'd say Stephon Diggs not coming back. They'll find a way to get off of him. I don't even know if, if McDermott keeps his job. Yeah, I, I was going to say, I we talked about this first week of if he was somehow going to lose in the first round against Pittsburgh, that his job would be in jeopardy. I still think that holds true after last night. Yeah. Yeah, the way, I mean... The way they lost, you could say, "Hey, we lost a close game," but also like, "Hey, man, that, that fake punt should have should have got you blown out. That that fake punt should have got you blown out." The the all or nothing that that Josh Allen still does, I, I think, ultimately still falls on McDermott. Just not being able to get over the get over the hump. Like it's like Mike McCarthy, like you know. We've seen enough of, of Dak and Mike McCarthy. They're not going to win a championship. I kind of feel that same way about Josh Allen and, and, and McDermott. You're not going to beat Kansas City. You're not going to do it. You're not going to break through. And if there's one team that's like looked at 
at, at someone kicking ass for a long time and like, hey, give us that. It would be the Bills looking at Bill Belichick being like, hey, we, we had to go against this guy for 20 years. We know what he's about. This guy can maybe get us over the hump. Maybe. I don't know. We'll see what happens with McDermott. Because so far, the two coaches we thought might get fired and McCarthy and and I'm blanking on his name in Philadelphia. Sirianni. Sirianni. Sirianni yeah. I, was, I was keep wanting to say Skaransky, but I was like, that's a Titans offensive <laughs> lineman. Yeah, Sirianni and McCarthy kept their job. We'll see if McDermott breaks through and actually gets fired. Anything else from the weekend? Because I do think the Chiefs and Bills stole the show. The other game would be, you know, the, the 49ers. They were on the cusp of getting knocked out, but Green Bay kind of, uh, I don't want to say out choked them, but when you miss that kick, that <laughs> kicker miss, like, yeah. Kind of out there, yeah. Yeah. And then before the game, you find out LaFleur said, when, when my kicker goes out there, I just kind of pray. <laughs> that, that's, not a very good, that's not a very good testament to how you feel about your kicker. That doesn't ex- exude a lot of confidence. And then, of course, it plays out where he goes out there and misses a kick that could have could have put them up seven. Instead, they miss. And at that point, you're like, yep, here comes San Francisco right down the field. And sure enough, San Francisco right down the field to take the lead. And ultimately, Jordan Love. Jordan Love paying homage to Brett Favre. That's the only explanation that I have on that interception he threw to lose the game on first down with two timeouts left, throwing it back across the middle of the field. He's lucky that that was a Saturday night game. Because if that was the final game of Sunday, we'd have a completely different conversation about Jordan Love on his YOLO throw. I'll tell you what, though. If you're a Packers fan, and I know some Packers fans who were actually very pragmatic about this loss. They were like, man, we were just excited to be in the playoffs and I'm very, you know, very excited for the future. I think as a Packer fan, you got to be excited about this team so young um, and so talented. Now we've seen it, and yeah, love that was that was a horrible way for him to go out in that game. But his evolution overall in the past six, seven weeks has been pretty impressive. Um, and who who knew it'd be it would be easier to replace the quarterback at Green Bay than it was the kicker. You know, I mean, that's uh, that's pretty tough. Mason Crosby was up and down his last couple years. So I will say, like, for as many quarterbacks that they had, the the last couple years of kickers have at least made up a little bit on, on the stress meter. But you're right. You know, we talked about the, the Packers being the youngest team to make the playoffs in a non-strike-shortened season since, I believe, 82. On the other hand, though, like, you got to take advantage when you have chances yep. in the NFL. Like, you, you can't take it for granted, like, hey, we'll be back. Jordan Love got hot. Those receivers got hot. But, like, that interception he threw at the end of the playoffs could be something that kind of derails his confidence. Like, you could look back on that and say, hey, that was our chance to break through. And instead, he threw a back-breaking interception. I do think the Packers still look at the season as a win, so, like, the vibe should still be good around, the you know, the franchise and all that, you know, in, in the offseason. But still, like, you, you let San Francisco off the hook. Green Bay should have won that game. Yeah. Jumping over to San Francisco, how about uh, the Tennessee guy, Jawan Jennings? Yeah. Yeah, Juwan Jennings. Big catches, man. That guy is something else. Juwan Jennings now going up against a couple of Tennessee guys for Detroit. You know, Detroit got a couple of balls on there, so at least uh, one of uh, one of a, belo- a beloved ball will be in the Super Bowl. You know, Cam Sutton hasn't been playing very good for Detroit, but him and Reese Maben got a chance to make the Super Bowl. Juwan Jennings got a chance to get to the Super Bowl. That should be a fun NFC. Any thoughts on Lions, Bucks? I mean, it, it kind of, I don't want to say played out the way we thought it would, but that Lions offense got hot and Tampa Bay just, just fell a little bit short. 
Yeah, I actually, I thought the game was a little closer than I had anticipated. I mean, hats off to Mayfield. I mean, he threw that pick at the end, but it was tough. But uh, we talked about Baker, too, back last time we were in studio. I mean, he uh, he's gotten over the hump after a pretty rocky couple years, and um, I was happy for him. Although, how crazy was it that his uh, – he throws that pick to Gardner Johnson, who had talked trash before. <laughs> yeah. I mean, good. flips the ball back to him. Yeah, yeah. God, it was crazy. But. Was, was Gardner Johnson? I mean, that was a big late season addition for them. Him getting him off IR. Their their secondary had been trash, quite frankly. Him getting back made them less trash. The defense hasn't been as much of a turnstile as it had been the last you know six weeks or so of the regular season. So it was kind of fitting that he gets the interception that ends the game. Did you have any problem with Tampa Bay going for two down 14? I, I, I see a lot of people still mad about that. How do you feel as, as it's more of a new age, uh, yeah, I was gonna say, young I'm, approach to I'm, it? I'm probably old school on that. I, I didn't understand it. I mean, I, you know, clearly they still had a chance to tie the game if they didn't get the two, which they didn't. Um, but I, I, don't, I don't understand it. The easiest way I could try to explain it is that with the extra point moving back, it, it makes an extra point like 98% likely, 97% likely versus a slam dunk. And if you can get a two-point conversion, I think 52% of the times, getting two cracks at it helps the math. So if you get it on the first time, then you're kicking for the win. And then if you know if you need the one to tie, theoretically, yeah. if you've had two chances at the two-point conversion, you shouldn't make it more than you miss it. That's how the math kind of works out. So you, you try it first instead of uh, saving it for the end. So if you do want to go for the win, and, instead of rolling the dice once – you get two cracks at it, two swings at it. It makes it a, uh, a better mathematical chance. Yeah, I, the only the only other thing I would say to that was that I wouldn't have expected that coming in this game. Certainly Detroit, I would expect them to do something like that. Tampa Bay, I wouldn't. Todd Bowles, defensive-minded coach, kind of more old school, was a little bit of a surprise to me. Yeah, yeah. On the other hand, had they gotten that two-point conversion, had Baker thrown a better ball and had Mike Evans maybe fought for the ball a little bit more and they get it, Think about how different that would have felt in Detroit, though. Up six with Baker with the ball, the chance to go down and win after after Detroit looks like they were about to run away with it, getting up 14 and getting ready to celebrate. Yeah. yeah. You talked about Evans. Dude, I I forgot, you know, it, and it, he he came, came up short on the two-pointer, but, man, he made that one catch where he was sliding catch, down. Yeah. I mean, he, he's, so, he, he, he's so hit or miss. Yeah. So talented, but you're right. It's very inconsistent. First week of the playoffs, he was a non-factor. I believe I said on Friday when we were talking about it, I was like, I expect Evans to go off and maybe have 100 yards and a touchdown, and he was even better than that, but couldn't make the uh, the big two-point conversion. No thoughts on Baltimore, Texans. Uh, Texans, good season. You ran into a better team. But I'm excited for the Final Four. We'll talk NFL playoffs throughout the week. We'll dive into some Tennessee basketball after the break because – Tennessee basketball deserves to be talked about after the way they beat down Alabama. Stick with us. It is the morning show here on Fan Run Radio. Ever been the coach who realized the team's gear just wasn't up to par? Well, if I'm being honest, that was me. Just a downright irresponsible and plain bad coach. Then SM Athletics changed the game. I want you to picture this. On Saturday, Tennessee absolutely dominated a top-ten Alabama team. Per the metrics, they get credit for a top-ten win. I know it didn't have 
a, a number next to it on the little score bug, but Alabama was thought of as a top 10 team in college basketball circles, and Tennessee gets credit for a top 10 domination. Bob, you were in the building at the Thompson Bowling Arena at Food City Center. Walk us through the game, your thoughts, the energy inside of the of, of the arena. How was your Saturday watching Rick Barnes and the boys? It was great. Um, the 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 energy was really good. I didn't know what to expect just because of the weather, but I actually think, you know, they talked about the game being sold out. I was wondering, okay, really how many seats will be filled? But it was pretty full. I think a lot of people were like me. They just wanted to get out. And, uh, you know, middle of the afternoon, it seemed safe enough to do it. Um, there was a ton of energy, um, and, and I thought it, you know, stating the obvious, but it was utter domination. I, 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 it's hard to find much that was wrong with that win. Um, they had the, the backing of the crowd. Uh, Alabama, we've talked about this before, you know, and Will Warren corroborated it with us last week that, you know, the whole situation with Alabama is live and die by the three. It's either three-pointers or short-range shots, nothing in between. Um, they were four of 21 from beyond the arc, and and actually those numbers are down in terms of attempts um, versus some of their previous SEC games. They've, they've averaged closer to about 30 three-point attempts in the SEC games, and I think that's a testimony. Tennessee just got after them with perimeter defense. It was, uh, it was, it was impressive. Yeah, at, at halftime they ran up that stat that – Alabama averages 29.2 three-point attempts, I believe, per game. And at halftime, they had five. Yeah. So in the second half, they were able to get 16 shots up, you know, kind of in garbage time and to kind of keep just chucking. But at halftime, they had five, you know, well below their average. Sam, did a lot of your friends make the game? Uh, I know you said you didn't get to because of weather, but I, did, I was impressed with the energy. Uh, did you have a lot of student friends there kind of carrying the fight? Yeah, all, all my buddies that, that live on campus pretty much went to the game. And, you know, I think a lot of people were coming back in. It's the first week of classes and everything. So I think everyone was excited to get on campus and go see a game. It seemed like it was a really great atmosphere, even with the students. Sledding across, ice skating <laughs> across to uh, yes. get inside the to get yeah. inside the venue. But it, it came across good on TV. And, you know, I was down in Atlanta watching it, so I didn't go to the game. But it was one of Tennessee's best performances under Rick Barnes, you know, just of the season, of the last couple years when you consider the opponents. We had talked about how he felt like Alabama basketball these days is just as hateable as Kentucky basketball and how, you know, a lot you really want to win that game against Nate Oates and you view them as a threat to win the conference and you just kind of hate that coach. Tennessee treated it like a rivalry game. Alabama couldn't answer the bell, though. Yeah, we, we've talked about, uh, what, douchey Nate Oates. Um, even he heaped praise on Tennessee in the postgame, said they were tough and physical. They, they simply were not ready for that. As dominating a performance as he's seen one of his against one of his teams, um, he, he, he had a lot of superlatives about Tennessee, and he should. Um, you know, not only did they, Tennessee kind of, keep them contained on the three-pointers they also forced 22 turnovers and the way you know Alabama's pace they probably average I'm guessing about half that they probably average 11 12 turnovers per game but double that is pretty impressive in terms of Tennessee in their defense and um, I I just think that it was a top-to-bottom domination and personnel wise uh, you know 
it's crazy to say Connect was um, had a bit of a letdown game when you score 25, but he he was still effective. It was what what impressed me more again is Adu keeps coming back, and you know he had a little bit of foul trouble. He only played 25 minutes, still had 19 points, had four blocks. Um, I I think that I think his development, and I know there's some people that keep talking about yeah, but when he goes against the the other, you know the elite bigs, he can't handle it. It's like He's not. He's not going to face those every single game, you know. And and I, I would counter that we got to believe he's he's growing towards being better in those types of matchups too over time. Um, and then and then Jordan Ganey and Vescovy came back and hit shots, and that was nice to see. It was uh, it was just a great performance all the way around. Yeah, credit to Nate Oates for not being the guy that gets knocked out cold and gets up and says ah. He didn't punch me that hard. It didn't hurt yeah. that much. Like you, you got no choice but to tip your hat and and praise the team that beats you by twenty points and kind of dominates you. So credit to him for at least not trying to act like it didn't hurt that bad. The criticism for Jonas and you know, I made the mistake of of reading through the the station had tweeted. You know what what chances do you give this I team of making that. the final four? Yeah. And the replies are just so negative. I'm like, what what, what team are you watching? And Barnes is not going to win in March, and they can't handle a big man. Jonas is still soft. I'm like, okay, even if you want to tell me Jonas Adu isn't a top three or four center in the country, that's fine. There's still some value in being the fifth or sixth best center in the country, and I do think that's the level he's playing at right now. And, like, I do think, yeah, okay, Tolu Smith played pretty well at home against Tennessee's front line, but there's still a really good chance Jonas Adu is your first team Big man at the end of the year, or that he is at least a first team All SEC player. I know they, you know, usually put well, I think eight players on the first team. There's a chance he's one of the eight. So like, is he Hunter Dickinson? Is he Zach Eady? No, that's fine. But he's still really, really good and unlocks this Tennessee offense. And you know, he and Connect combined for 44 points. It's funny you say Connect seemed off because. It did seem like he was off, and he still had 17 first-half points. And <laughs> yeah. I do think he gets to 30 if the game is a little bit more in doubt. Yeah. Now, I will say Barnes. Barnes is, I guess, buying into the net rating, the net rankings, I should say, because it does seem like he plays his starters down to the last minute, wanting as big of a margin of victory as possible because it does play into your seeding this year. You know, in the past it was just, did you win by 10 points or more? They call that game control. Now it's like every point matters. So, like, in these blowouts, he's still playing these guys out here because he had the starters out there until the last minute. You know, he was sending a statement to Alabama and trying to get as many points as possible. Sam, what was your big takeaway from the game? Was it just Jonas and Connect? Was it Vescovy hitting some shots? Ganey? Or is it more like, hey, you know, we, we maybe saw we, – we, Bob, we had talked about the, the minutes changing between – uh, you know, Ganey and DeLeon. Of course, that's not the case when, when Ganey comes out and hits shots. Now maybe something to keep an eye on is the minutes kind of swapping between Josiah and Meshack because Josiah, 21 minutes, yeah. Meshack, 28. Sam, what stood out to you? Yeah, that's that's exactly what stood out to me. I think it's those those role players kind of on this team that are starting to emerge and, and feel a lot more comfortable, I think, offensively. And I, I think that's just starting to to make this Tennessee team really dangerous and well-rounded. Uh, you know, it's obviously, deep, man. Yeah, it's, it's deep and well-rounded. It can do it. It can beat you on the perimeter. It can beat you in the mid-range. It can beat you in the post mm-hmm. and with defense. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it was awesome to see Jordan Ganey get a bounce-back game. I think that's something that you haven't seen uh, in a while from him, and that's a guy that can be a, a dangerous shooter off the bench, like you just said. Uh, I, I thought Santi gave you some big, some big shots and some big stretches. 
And then, yeah, I mean, I think you mentioned Meshack right there, but 28 minutes, I think he's starting to feel a whole lot more comfortable just offensively. Obviously, one of the best on-ball defenders in the country, probably the best in the SEC maybe. So, you know, I think it's a lot of these role players really kind of carving out their little – you know, their little spot on this team in terms of offensive production and keeping that defensive production, I think that's turning this Tennessee team into that true top five team that they actually are. Yeah, I the, the one thing, it, there were two observations I would make that if there's anything, and I had to dig to find some cause for concern, Awaka played like six minutes because, five, yeah. yeah, he cannot, this happens from time to time, he can't stay out of foul trouble. Mm-hmm. And part of it's his game, you know, he's so physical and so aggressive, but got to have more than that on a consistent basis have to particularly in a game really Tennessee was fortunate if you think about the fact that Adu again only played 25 minutes that's a game you need at least 10 from Awaka and you didn't get it so uh thankfully it didn't matter but and then Josiah um and one then, point uh, 0 for three from the uh, 0 for three from the floor yeah one point. yeah and then and it's the craziness of those plus minuses you look at those and it, it was it was it was like a plus 20 and he doesn't he I, I guess he wasn't a liability but i would argue he is a liability because we need more from him than if if he's going to be on the floor um there was talk that he was under the weather he was sick hadn't practiced since the florida game um and that's that's fine, but you, you bring up a really interesting point, John, that the way Meshack's playing, the way he feeds the floor with his energy and intensity, and even Oates specifically pointed him out that he is just impossible to generate offense against. I mean, that's 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 something to watch. Jamai Meshack hates Alabama. He, he hates stars from Alabama, apparently, because he had Brandon Miller in hell last year. Yeah. And he had Mark Sears in hell on on Saturday. Like Sears ends up, you know, with a decent game, twenty two points. If you just look at the stat, you know, the stat line, but seven turnovers. And he worked his ass off to get twenty two. And he way. got a lot of it, you know, yeah. towards the end after yeah. the game was decided. Like yeah. the first half when Tennessee, you know, kind of established how that game was going, Meshack was was dominating the perimeter. And quite frankly, at this point, who do you have more confidence in offensively? Meshack or Josiah? And you yeah. maybe even still say maybe slightly Josiah. Maybe. Maybe you say it's even. Maybe you say it's Meshack. But to me, it's at least a debate. It's close, especially when you consider the the other stuff, the, the rebounding and, and the on-ball defense. Josiah plays good team defense. Josiah does rebound and pass. But he's not he's not that dog on the perimeter that can hound their best their best ball handler. And Jemai Meshack is. Sears had seven free throws, so he really only had like 15 points. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And again, I would like to see the breakdown of first half versus second half because I, I thought that he was in hell. And Meshack, you know, he's a big part of the reason why they had 22 turnovers. I think he had nine at half. But again, what I noticed, what I kept watching was he was absolutely getting worked over. I mean, those were the hardest uh, 22 points he's he's gotten, or 15 if you take away the free throws. That's the hardest he's probably had to work all season for that amount of points. Um, yeah, that, and this Grant Nelson kid that they were, everybody was talking up. I was too. Um, I mean, he was totally a non-factor. Fouled out early. Um, you know, people were putting him in the framework of, yeah, you guys have Dalton Connect. Well, Alabama's got Grant Nelson. It, it's like no contest, man. That that's not even something to be discussing yeah we'll see we'll see what kind of whistle Tennessee gets when they go to Alabama you know yeah. maybe 
Maybe some of the stuff Jonas was getting away with, you know, around the rim gets called fouls on the road. Maybe Grant Nelson doesn't get those called against him. And, you know, that's college basketball officiating. I don't think officiating had anything to do with the ass kicking that came, but I'm saying it could even the playing field when Tennessee has to make that trip. As we sit here through, you know, January 20th, basically, through January 21st, 22nd, where does this team rank in terms of Rick Barnes' best teams? I think it's number one. You could, you could talk about the 2018-19 team. That's the team that lost to uh, Purdue, of course. I think this team is better than that. Well, actually, that's not a team that lost to Purdue, is it? That's the... Yeah, yeah that is. Okay, okay. It yeah. was. Okay. It was. Okay. Yeah. Um... I, I think it's I think it's deeper for sure. I think there's more there's more talent on this team in terms of depth. Uh, time will tell. You know, I I'd love to see I, where I really want to be a buyer more than uh, than I am right now is how are they going to do in Lexington in a couple weeks? You know, did you see any highlights of this Vonimir Ivasich kid? Yeah, it's they, special. they, they yeah. dusted him off. He, he got to play his first game, and he, he was pretty good at shooting the basketball. Yeah, we'll talk more about that in, later in the show, but my goodness, man, he's, yeah, he's a talent. And they said that when he got cleared that both – he and and Calipari kind of broke down and were crying. It's like, yeah, if I have Calipari, I'd, I'd be crying, man. That's, I don't believe that Calipari was crying. I don't know, man. I don't I, he might have done it. For, I, I'm saying he might have done it for effect, but yeah. I'd be – I mean, this kid is a difference maker. And that that's the game. I don't want to look past – well, Vanderbilt I do, but South Carolina I don't want to look past. But that Kentucky game, that's going to tell me, um, you know, how good is this team. I, I But I think, John, I think it's right up there as the best team Barnes has had here. From our friend Stats by Will, he gave me a snapshot of the 2019 team versus the 2024 team, you know, through January 20th. So, you know, through the game against Alabama at the same point for that team. Tennessee was number five in Kempom's rating then. They had the second best offense in the country and the 27th best defense in the country. This version, this year's team, currently number four in the rankings. 19th best offense, second best defense. So a little bit better in terms of uh, how they stack up, or at least a little bit more well-rounded. The uh, the 19 team couldn't play defense at the same level. Tennessee's offense is is creeping up the like it's shoot, not even creeping, it's shooting up the rankings in terms of offensive efficiency. We'll see how that progresses. You talk about the trip against uh, Kentucky, the trip to Lexington. That game might get to the hundreds. Yeah. That game might get to the hundreds. It, it, the over-under, that's probably going to be around 168, 170. That could be a shootout. But uh, Tennessee doesn't have a midweek, midweek game this week. They uh, get back to play South Carolina on Saturday. Two easy-ish games coming up before that trip to Lexington. Hour one in the books. We'll kick off hour two. We'll get you some traffic here coming into the break. We will catch you up on what else you might have missed from the weekend. We'll talk to Ryan Schumpert, Rocky Top Insider at 820. It's the morning show right here on Fan Run Radio. Good morning. Traffic still moving right now. I'm here in West Knox. So 40 East and West at Cedar Bluff Walker Springs headed towards Oak Ridge down. Pillsbury Parkway has picked up quite a bit just in the last few minutes. 75. Watch for some uh, pothole repairs there throughout the day in Campbell County around that Carroll exit. Could cause some delays on and off today. Hey, 24-7 reliable crane and rigging services right here in East Tennessee. It's Tomahawk Crane and Rigging online at TomahawkCrane.com. I'm Commander Chuck with your on-time traffic. 
When it's past high noon, it's time for a vodka soda made with a vodka you've actually heard of. <laughs>